Amen. Hey, good morning. We're just making a quick adjustment because our scripture reader is not here for some reason. So I'm going to do it. Our passage today is Luke 22. And children are dismissed. If you want to receive some children's ministry, kids are dismissed downstairs. So we are preaching through the gospel of Luke. We are in Luke chapter 22 today. We've been in Luke for about two years. We're almost done with it, church. Luke 22, verse 24. Right. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. And if you need a Bible, there's also one in front of you in the pew. Verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The king of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. And the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater? The one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And let's pray together once more. Father, we love you. We marvel at who you are. Your name is truly great. And today we get to see a little bit more of your greatness. Would you show up? by your spirit, and teach us, instruct our hearts, and let us be more like your son Jesus today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, my name is Daniel. I am one of the pastors here. If you're new, welcome. And uh, such a joy to get to open God's word and and teach and see our Lord Jesus a little more clearly. Well, Kate and I, my wife, we got to go on a cruise recently. We went on a cruise without the kids, and uh, it was amazing. Without the kids. Did you hear that part? Um, and guys, we just, we just uh, had such a sweet time. And every, every morning, usually late morning, right? We, we didn't have the kids. Uh, we would go out to the back of the ship and uh, we would sit down at our, our little spot that we claimed as ours, our little table. And uh, man, there was a spread of food for us that we didn't prepare. We didn't lift a finger. I mean, I guess we, we picked what we want or whatever, but we didn't have to do it, right? We didn't have to clean up. We had a massive staff just waiting. They were at our beck and call, just ready to give us whatever we wanted pretty much. Man, it is nice sometimes to be served, isn't it? It, it feels good, especially for parents, especially if you're pouring out every single day, right? It, it, it's, it's actually something that we long for a little deeper. Like some of us, I'd say probably many of us, spend a lot of mental energy thinking about ways that we can work a little less, maybe get paid a little more. We, we look for those promotions. We're, we're fighting to, to get those things. Why? So that we don't have to work as hard. So we, so we can be served. We, we really want to be served and not to serve. We'd much rather be served. I don't wake up in the morning thinking, yes, another diaper to change, right? I don't know why I'm going on and on about kids this morning. Maybe it's just the season of life that we're in, but man, it's just not my inclination to want to wake up and serve, and not usually uh, ours, I would guess, not usually yours. But 
When we answer the call to follow Jesus, friends, we answer a call to come and serve. Isn't that right? It's a call to come and serve. If you've been around All People's Church very long, you've maybe seen our identity statement, which is sometimes on the screen. It says that we aim to be a beloved family of missionary servants. We aim to be a beloved family of missionary servants. This is what we want to instill in you, an identity as servant. Now, we've unpacked that in another sermon series. I'm not going to do that today, but I want to focus on that word servant today from our text. We believe that the Bible teaches that service is one of the defining marks of a Christian. That's that's where that identity statement comes from. But today I want to ask, how do we relate this desire to be served to this call from Christ to serve? How, how How do we justify those things? Well, I've titled this sermon, Learning to Rule with Christ. Learning to rule with Christ. Because we're going to see that we are promised a future of greatness, a place of position and power as reigning with Christ, rulers with Christ. But like Jesus, we'll see that our path to glory is a path of sacrificial service. So let me just quickly give some context. We, last week, our Easter service, we were in the, looking at the, the Last Supper of Jesus. And just before that, uh, you know, in the, in the narrative, we, we learn that he has just washed the, the feet of the disciples. If you look to, to John, you'll see that. So he's just had this, this last supper, and we're looking at the final hours of Jesus' life. And a lot of what he's teaching is, is in preparation for his ascension. He's, he's about to hand off the kingdom to them, and he's getting them ready. So verse 24, let's go ahead and jump in there, follow along in the Bibles, or I'll have it up on the screen as well. It says, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. If you've been around, we've been in Luke, and actually back in chapter 9, we, we looked at a very similar argument. This is not the first time that the disciples have argued about this, unfortunately. Um, and interestingly, in each recorded situation in the Gospels, in Luke and in all the other Gospels, we see that they start arguing about this place of greatness just after Jesus starts talking about his death. So they want to know, it seems, who's going to be in charge after Jesus dies. Like, who's the greatest in his mind? Who's going to be the successor of Jesus. I wish I could say that this is an age-old, or that this is an old problem, one that we've dealt with. But no, friends, this is this is so common. This is how the world has operated. We fight over such things. We want position. We want to be re- recognized in our community as attractive, as smart, as valuable. We want to be elevated by others, and sometimes we claw our way to those positions, making others doormats as we enter our glory. Sometimes, instead of rejoicing in others' accomplishments, we withhold you know, honor and instead harbor jealous and covetous thoughts. Sometimes we slander others, gossip about others because we want to make ourselves look better, right? This is something that is not just an old thing that the disciples do, arguing about greatness and and position and authority, but something that's in us, something that has resulted for us in broken relationships and division in the church and in our marriages and on and on. 
Now you'd think that the 12, after already being corrected by Jesus on this, would, would get it by now. But we see even up to Jesus' death, even until the last hour, they have misunderstanding about what the kingdom is like. They have misunderstanding about what they are called to do. Jesus is going to turn their worldview upside down with his response. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation for clarity here in verse 25. So just listen to these words. In the world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. So Jesus here compares two different groups of leaders, the leaders of the world and leaders in the kingdom of God. So on the one hand, he he describes the way that the nation's leaders operate. He says they lord it over the people. They domineer over the people. They demand service. Meanwhile, they also demand words of or, or titles of honor. They want to be called generous ones, friends of the people, benefactors. We have examples of this in, in our modern leadership. You know, we see uh, Kim Jong-un in, uh, in North Korea. His, his face is plastered over, you know, in massive images all over the, the major cities. And he, he demands service and he demands to be praised. We see uh, Vladimir Putin right now. You know, he's, he's touting himself as somebody who is removing Nazism in the world. He is erasing in in society any uh, media that would speak badly about him or what what he's doing. But it's not just out there in the world. We see it in our United States presidents, right? They they boast in their great accomplishments while they, you know, slander other leaders and say how how, uh, poor of a president they've been. So Jesus is right, and this this has gone on through history, that the world's leaders operate in this way where they demand to be served and at the same time demand that we, we speak high praises of them. But Jesus says, in contrast, about the rulers in the kingdom of God, he says, not so with you. Church, he says to the disciples, it is not going to look like that with you. Among you, it will be different. You must not think this way. That's not the way that leaders in the kingdom of God are going to operate. He said, instead, the greatest among you must start to behave as if he were the youngest or the least in rank. The youngest or least in rank. He says, the leaders among you, the greatest in your community, must act like the one who serves, like the one who's taking the orders. You're not going to act like you give the orders all the time, like you're praised all the time. You're going to be the one to give honor and service to others. You must take the lowest position. Jesus goes on with another example in verse 27. He talks about just everyday life. He's like, who's greater, the one who's reclining at the table or the one who serves him? His answer is is an obvious Yes, typically it's the person that's reclining, not the one who's serving. But Jesus then says these words. But I am among you as one who serves. I love it as as he sets up these examples and compares the two groups of leaders and tells his disciples what kind of leader they're going to be. He shows them what kind of leader he has been to them. 
and it is a place of a servant. He says, you, you understand perfectly well how the world operates. You've seen it. You're walking in it in some degree. But look at me. Look at my behavior towards you. This is not Jesus saying, you, you, you need to think less of me. He's not saying, I'm, I'm not somebody to praise. I'm somebody to serve. No, Jesus has a position of power. He knows that. He has every reason to be worshipped. He is truly going to be the King of kings, Lord of lords for all eternity. And yet, he comes as a servant leader. He comes redefining what, redefining what greatness is. He's showing them what rule in the kingdom of God actually looks like. He's highlighting greatness for them, for his disciples. He came as one who served. If you're familiar with the Bible, you, you may remember that scene where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. It's one of the most famous scenes in Scripture. And what we see there is this setup where, where, it's, where we see, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that that he had come from the Father. He had come from heaven and was going back to heaven. What did he do? He got up from supper. He didn't keep reclining, but he got up. It says he took off his outer garment. He tied a towel around his waist and knelt down to wash the disciples' feet. This one who John the Baptist said was higher in rank, so high that he wasn't worthy to stoop and bend and untie his sandals, is now stooping and untying his disciples' sandals. And he would do the same thing with every one of you if you were here in person. That is our master. That is our Lord. What better example of servant leadership? Jesus' greatness is not first shown in a display of power or assertion, but in his humility. As he becomes man, as he comes from heaven and earth, he humbles himself. He grew from infancy to adulthood. He worked in blood, sweat, and tears like every single one of us. He served tirelessly. He taught day in and day out in the temple. Everything we see of Jesus is himself giving and giving and giving. He healed from morning to night. He would try to sneak away for a minute and people would crowd him and he never sent them away. He just simply came and served them. This is our Lord. He traveled to, the great, to, to great distance at risk to himself, at risk of his honor to set captives free. He poured himself out at his own expense. He lived like a servant from beginning to end. This is our King, church. This is our king. He's a servant. To this very hour, he is aware of your needs. We're told in Hebrews that he is interceding for your needs. Always. He, he stands. He lives before the Father to make intercession for you, to care for you, to love us in the most radical ways we can imagine. Friends, our God's kingdom could not be further from this world's view of rule and leadership. Our God's kingdom could not be further from it, and it could not be further from the selfish inclination of our hearts. Jesus shows us that in the kingdom of God, honor is gained through service. 
Greatness is shown through service. It's proven through your sacrificial service. If you want to be great in God's eyes, if you want to be seen as great truly, not just in this world, but by the the one who defines all things, we need to become like Jesus, the servant of all. Our king, who is the greatest of all, became the least of all, and he invites us to be great like him. It's an upside-down kingdom that we've we've been brought into. You go up by getting lower. You gain honor by serving, by giving yourself away. Now, in these last few verses, there's, there's a cool tie that I think Jesus makes with, for his disciples. He, he's showing them that there, there's a future glory awaiting them. There's a future glory awaiting them, and I'm going to argue it's a future glory awaiting us, but then reminding them of that path of to, to glory. This is, these are empowering words that we're about to read. Verse 28. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. If I were one of those disciples and heard those words after I argued and bickered over who was going to be the greatest, I would feel very, very silly. I think that that argument would all of a sudden feel very similar to the times that I've fought with my brothers about getting the front seat of the car, right? Like it just gets silly when you compare what the Lord is laying out for His disciples here. Jesus says, my father has assigned to me a kingdom. And now you are being assigned a kingdom. I'm giving you a kingdom. This is absolutely wild. He says to to his disciples, hey, you have remained with me. You stayed with me when it was difficult. You have held fast to me and shared in my trials. And you now are going to be given a kingdom. Just as the Father has decreed to me a kingdom as as real as it is that Jesus was king, he's saying you're going to become rulers in my kingdom. I'm giving you a kingdom. Now, he says that they're handed a kingdom for two reasons. He, He says so that they could, one, eat and drink at Christ's table in his kingdom, and number two, so that they could sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That is an unfathomable place of honor to, to be invited to the king's table. I mean, we, we, people that are famous in our culture, you know, make a big deal about being in the White House, don't they, right? We're in the White House, look at us, photo, like. But the king of kings says we're going to sit at his table. It's not like a one and done sort of you step into his presence for a second, you snap a selfie. No, it's you belong at the table of the king from here out. You're given a position of honor like that. Intimate fellowship with God. A place of feasting and joy. He also says that they're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. They're going to each get a throne judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 
This is wild. They're, they're going from fishing boats to thrones, y'all. They're going from noisy fishing markets to glory at the table of the king. Right? From poor men to judges in authority. Because of God's great grace. Because of Jesus' sacrifice. Can't spend a lot of time here, but I want to try to answer a couple questions about what it means that they're going to rule over the 12 tribes of Israel, and also where, where we relate. Where, how does this promise relate to the church today? Well, first of all, as best as I can tell, the 12 tribes of Israel is not speaking literally of Judah, Benjamin, Dan, on and on, but rather it's speaking symbolically of the people of God. We see this truth explained in Ephesians 2, in 1 Peter chapter 2. We see it in Galatians 3 that Jew and Gentile have been joined together as one in Christ. Galatians teaches very clearly that we, are, we all become children of Abraham, not because we're descended from him by blood, but through Jesus Christ. This is why James writes to uh, in his letter, he, he greets the, the church in this way. He, he says, he calls them the 12 tribes in the dispersion. That is to not just Jew, but Jew and Gentile, the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Again, I can't get into all this, but, but I, there is no question if Israel is still dear to God's heart. There's no question. Jesus himself is a Jew. He will always be a Jew in his humanity. But he always intended that his people would be a people that went beyond the borders of Israel. That his people would be made up of every nation in him. Amen? Second, I, I believe this text shows us along with other hints in scripture that the 12 apostles are given a place of higher honor and authority in the kingdom. There seems to be a place that they will have that's more prominent than, than you and I. And Revelation 21 is a small depiction of it where we see this, this picture of the great city coming out of God. And it has 12 foundations. And on the foundations are written names of the 12 apostles. Now I know it says it's a city, but the, the text in Revelation explains that that city is actually the people of God. It's representing the people of God. So in that image, Christ as the foundation, the apostles, 12 foundations, and then each of us built into this city as stones in his house. There is a prominence that they have. On the one hand, they are simply brothers to us who have clinged to Christ by faith. On the other, because of God's grace, he has given them positions of honor. But how about us? How about us? How does this relate to us? Church, this is a description chiefly, he's speaking chiefly to the apostles. But if you study scripture just for a minute, you're going to find all over the pages of scripture similar language of, of, of rule with Christ, just like this. That we too will rule with Christ for eternity. I could mention many examples, but I'm just going to read a few. Luke chapter 19, 17, Jesus says, Well done, my good servant. His master replied, Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. 
We who remain to the end, we who are stewards in this life of God's kingdom faithfully, he says, will be given charge over cities. We're going to have rule and dominion. Or 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, it just speaks it very clearly. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. We will reign with Christ. Revelation 2.26, Jesus says to the churches, this is not just Jewish churches, but to all the people of God, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Any of us who hold fast to the Lord, who endure to the end, he promises us this future rule in Christ. This sort of destiny, this sort of purpose for eternity. Church, ruling, reigning with Jesus. These are promises for you and I. Our destiny is nothing less than joint reign with Christ in the kingdom of God. Friends, the positions and places of honor that we long for in this life just pale in comparison to what is being held out to us today. Isn't that right? We long for the positions at work. We long for the positions in the church amongst friends. We want these things so badly, but don't you see how they just are diminished by this promise of rule and reign of position in Christ's kingdom? It's It's not even comparable. But here's what we need to remember. Tying the two together, we will rule with him, but we will serve with him. We need to remember that this path to reigning with Jesus is no different than our Lord Jesus' path. Amen? Jesus understood that his glorification was through an act of service. Right before he went to the cross, he said, now is the, is the son glorified. Right now is the son glorified. Jesus, through his death, is being glorified, is being made great before all men. As he goes low, he is being exalted. And then he invites us to that same glory, saying, go and do as I have done to you, as I have done for you. Love one another with the same sort of sacrificial service. Hear what he says from John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That is all the way to death. That is our example. That is what Jesus has done for us and invites us to do. Jesus went to the cross in service to us, motivated by love. We can, we can talk about how Jesus is a great servant, and, and I think we should ask the question, why does he serve? Why is the kingdom founded on service? It's because of his great love. Love motivates service. Our God is about you in love. He loves you, so he pours himself out. He pours himself out for us in service, motivated by love for the name of God and love for you. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
He poured himself out. Our king is motivated by his love for you and I, that we would not perish in our sin, but have everlasting life. I want to bring some specific application to us, and I'm going to, I'm going to close out. Um, what would it look like in the community of God for us to love one another like Christ has loved us? What would it look like? Let me just speak to a few different groups of people represented here. First, I want to speak to pastors in this room. I don't think that happens very often, but what if our greatness was not defined by how many people were around us or sitting in pews, but by the ways that we give of ourselves in prayer, in counseling meetings, in loving and sacrificial service. May it never be said of us, Ross, Scott, Dale, Sam, that we lord it over these individuals. We should be chief servants in this congregation. We're called to love you, love the flock, feed, protect, all sorts of things to help you flourish in Christ. I hope that's what you see. I hope that's what you experience from us. Singles and retirees, what if instead of measuring your greatness by career or where you've traveled or as I think John Piper said, what, what your sea, seashell collection looks like, that it was measured by how sacrificially you've been on mission or supported those on mission or served widows and orphans. Friends, what you do with your time matters so much to the Lord. What you do with your time matters. And in this, in this time, for, for, some, for some singles, for some retirees, you, you have more time on your hands, perhaps. Perhaps. Don't waste it on yourself. Give of yourself. Give of yourself for others' good. That is true greatness, church. Speak to the husbands and fathers. This is something I, I have to just preach to myself regularly. Um, God's word says, first to husbands, love your wives. Gives the same motivation. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is for you. As he gave himself up for you, you turn and love your wives in that same way. It's true. God's word does teach that, that men are given a position of authority in the home. There's, there's a headship. I can't get into all that, but there, there is a headship there. But that should never be something we take advantage of for our for our own advantage. I said that weird. We shouldn't take advantage of that. Instead, like Christ, we're to be the chief servants of the home. Chief authority in the home means chief servanthood in the home. That's what we're seeing in the scripture today. So we want our children and our spouse to see us be the first to run and take out the trash or change the diaper. You name it. Do the hardest chores. We want to train our children. We want to teach our children, not just with word, but also with action. Amen? Amen. We want our kids to see that of us. Wives and mothers, serve your husbands and your children. Serve faithfully in the small things, even when you're not seen. 
even when you're not seen. I know that many of you serve tirelessly and it's rarely seen the ways that you pour yourselves out. But serve unto the Lord. Serve. You've been given a role that is beautiful. In light of what we've just seen about Jesus, our servant, God invites you to serve. He invites you to serve your husband. He invites you to serve your children and to fight to do it cheerfully and out of love. That's true greatness. Just spouses, just, just a question for you together. What if instead of keeping score of all that you do for one another, you take delight and joy in serving without getting anything back? What if that was your motivation? I get to serve my wife. What a joy to serve my family today. Friends, that's only going to come from a place of deep satisfaction in what God has done for us, isn't it? I'm not calling you to just work harder. I'm calling you to see your King Jesus who serves and then serve in that same way. With one another here in this church family, I want to encourage you to just be so abundantly generous with one another. And I can tell you as one of your pastors, I am so pleased with so much of what I see. I praise God for the ways that you pour out your lives. Church, I want you to hear that when we, we're, we're praying, we teach on stuff like this because we want it to be our identity. And I think in many ways it is the identity of this family. But we want you to thrive and abound all the more in these good works. We want you to be generous towards one another, making meals for one another, praying often for one another, giving more of your time and your energy, outdoing one another in honor, listening looking for ways to serve. One of the ways that, that I've seen you serve is, is with our kids. These, these child care workers are down there sometimes getting vomited on. That My wife a couple of weeks ago. And we're glad to have your kids down there, even in the, even in the mess. We're so grateful. Uh, I, I mean it. We are. But it's not a glamorous place. But Jesus said, anyone who welcomes a little one like this, anyone who cares for one who's lowly in the community is welcoming and receiving our Lord Jesus. Friends, in this community, I, I don't want us to be known for, because we, we, we know the, the most attractive or influential in this congregation. I want it to be said, they are friends with the least. They are servants of the least in this community. Let that be true of us more and more. I want us to think less about protecting our belongings, about protecting our space, our time, and think more about how we can pour out, about how we can share for others, how we can help see others elevated. We lay down our desires, our ambitions, our passions, so that others' desires, ambitions, passions can come to fruition. Again, Praise God for all that you are doing, and may we just abound more and more. Amen. What I've just described is what Jesus describes as greatness in the family of God. That's what we long to be. Is this how you see the world today? Perhaps you're here and you're, you're shocked by what you're hearing, that Jesus would lay out this vision of greatness. 
I want to invite you, maybe, maybe you're not yet in Christ. Maybe you, you haven't clung to this Jesus in faith. Well, now's the time to come and see, come and experience the loving service of Jesus. There's nothing that you could bring that, that would cause him to say, no, not you. He would sit and listen and wash your nasty, sinful feet. He did it. He went all the way to the cross for you and I. So come to him. Come and see. Church, we need this reminder. We need this worldview shift. We need it daily. I need it daily, right? This is why we keep preaching the word of God. This is why we keep gathering to hear again and again the marvelous grace that has been dumped on us so that when he calls us to live out these impossible things, we have motivation. We have, we have an example. Friends, we are royalty. And the promise for us today is that we will soon rule with Jesus if we don't give up. Not only has, uh, or sorry, let's do it all the more, amen? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be heirs, so until we do it, I want us to learn to rule with Christ by serving like our king. Let me say that again. This is the main point today. We learn to rule with Christ by serving like our king. That's what I want you to take away. Finally, this is... This is hard stuff that I'm calling you to. It's hard stuff, and Jesus hasn't left you alone in it. He has not only given you an example in his son, but he has also given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the helper. What a title for God, the helper. And he has come to help you this week in whatever, whatever thing you're called to do, whatever place in work, in home, wherever it is, he has come to help you and to remind you of all these precious truths that we've reflected on today. So let's, let's hold fast and let's serve. Amen, church? Let's pray together. Our Father, we worship you for who you are and what you've done. And God, we invite you to create in us a cleaner and more beautiful heart that looks more like Jesus. Lord, I'm sick and tired of the selfishness that's in my heart and I pray that you would root it out by the power of your spirit. And you'd root it out in each and every one of, uh, of these people that sit in these pews today. And that we would be more given to serve rather than to be served. Give us grace, Lord, until the day that we are seated with you at table and you come and you serve us as you've promised. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your holy name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Church, we're going to sing a little bit together, but before we do, before we take the Lord's Supper, I just want to invite you to reflect a little bit about ways that you want to serve. Ask God, who do you want me to serve? Where? What, what, maybe an area in this church, maybe in your home, where would God have you serve? I want you to think about that. And, and secondly, we're going to create a little bit of space where you can just simply look around and consider who you might serve in this room. We don't often do this, but, but I want to invite you as we sing to just stand up and go and minister to somebody. Speak a word of encouragement. Pray over somebody. Encourage somebody in this room. So 
reflect and serve. Let's do it.